0: In this episode of the Rockets Chop Shop podcast, I am joined by my man James Pearson. We chop it up about Rockets coaching decisions. They got some decisions to make about their coaches. Who should we pick? Ime, Nick, Kenny—some good, good, good candidates for the Rockets. Who should they go with? We also talk about Jalen Brown. Should he be a Rocket? Is he a good fit for the team? Let's get into it. Tap in. Enjoy. Plug and play. Well,
1: it's a, it's, a, it's very tough in this league, right? To just say we're going to win all the time right no matter what happens to us we're going to win all the time and our culture is going to make sure that that happens right that's that's very difficult but I but I you know I believe that uh you asked me how long does it take listen there's 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 steps I believe you know that you got to take on a daily basis if you want your team to be able to guard and when you're young it's going to take a rookie at least a full year to absolutely even figure out how to play defense in this league, like give them a year and then the next year maybe they can start figuring it out on a consistent basis right even as talented and as long and as athletic and as whatever they can be to have all the tools to be good, great defensively these other guys are trying to stop are awesome and the things that coaches are doing are, are, are hard to stop and all those kind of things so that's where it starts for me so if you got a young team it's going to take you a couple years to get that defensive mentality
0: ingrained um I don't know, you can go from there. All right. I got my man here, James Piercy, uh, Chop Shop contributor. He just wrote two fire articles that we've been meaning to get to and um, uh, both talk about some very, very kind of uh, things that are very pertinent and uh, important to the Rockets right now, which is improving our players and improving the coaching. As you all know, um, those are two areas we lack. A lot in. And um, the first thing I want to touch on, bro, is the uh, the article you wrote titled, Should the Rockets Target Nick Nurse This Summer? And over the past few days, a lot of people have been talking about the different coaching candidates we've had. And I've heard a lot of different things. And it seems like people are really low on Nick Nurse. Um Uh, You know, when I made my when me and Space did a uh, podcast a few, maybe a month or so ago, and I think you were on that when we talked about uh, or we've talked about some of the coaching candidates we've liked. I didn't know Nick Nurse was going to be on the market. And I've even said that my top would probably be uh, Kenny Atkinson's or somebody like that. But uh, with some of the you know, right now it's just rumors, but some of the things coming out about him uh, possibly being out in Toronto some interest on the side of houston maybe some interest on the side of uh nick nurse himself um you know first of all just kind of let us know where do you stand on the nick nurse situation
2: yeah i would definitely be in favor of hiring nurse man w- one thing that i think i've seen a lot of people argue like well why is toronto getting rid of him and, and why should we want him if toronto is is firing him like I don't, i don't think that's logical because like look every nba team is in a different situation right like the Raptors won a championship all but a few years ago and they have plenty of the pieces that they won the championship with or at least like a few key really key pieces right so this is a team that like yeah they're on the decline they may want to start looking at a rebuild and stuff but they currently have a much higher standard than we do you know like we're we're lucky to not be the worst team in the league three years running we're, hor- <laughs> we're horrible you know so it's like if Nick Nurse is available like, bro, this guy won an NBA championship. You know, this is the head coach of a championship winning team. Like, yeah, we should definitely hire him if, if if that's an option. Uh, I don't I don't really see a good argument against it, man.
0: Yeah, I'm I'm I'm, you know, and this this as far as like uh content, this is gonna be a podcast. Me and James are aligned on a lot of things we're gonna talk about, but yeah, I'm with you. He's he's he is my favorite coach in the NBA. And really where, where he won me over was during the championship run. For some reason, people think it's easy to get to the finals, and for 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 some other reason, people think that winning the finals—I don't care what the whether it's lucky or not lucky—you it doesn't take luck to be holding that trophy at the end of the year. That takes dedication and skill and um, being really really good at your job. And if people don't know, Nick Nurse is pretty one uh, pretty much won at every level he's been at. Uh, he used to coach overseas. He won overseas, won a championship there. Coached in the G League, won a G League championship. And coached in the NBA, and obviously we saw what he did with that team. To me, the way I judge a lot of coaches, and uh, and there's two extremes to judging coaches because as we've discussed, and I you know I agree, and I know you hold this philosophy that the players really were drives like wins, wins and losses in the NBA for the majority of the part. But there are there are extremes where coaching does come into play. The two extremes to me are a really bad team and a really good team. And what I mean by a really bad team is is a coach of a really bad team, what can you do to make them overperform and show things that they wouldn't have done otherwise? Like we see with OKC and things like that, or even to a lesser extent in Utah. Um, And for a really good team, if you have a great roster, can you get them to that mountaintop? And to me, those two extremes are really where I can say that coach is good because it's hard to differentiate, you know, is it just the players? If you're like a 40 win team, a 50 win team that goes out in the first round, and so for Nick Nurse, he's shown to me both actually because the year you get a Kawhi Leonard, that's the year you win a championship. They weren't expected to win the championship. They were a good team. Um, they might have been uh, possibly uh, favorite in some matches, but not all of them. The Giannis matchup, the uh, obviously what they did with Giannis was very impressive. But to actually get that team over the top to me shows he's he's good. And then also on the uh, back end to me, the year with Scotty before Scotty Barnes came. Um, that a team that was supposed to be tanking for them to be able to do what they did and make the, um I mean, Scotty Barnes rookie year to make the playoffs uh, with no expectations there for them to do that, even though they got bounced in the first round. To me, that was an overperformance by that team uh for them.
2: Yeah. Yeah, man. You could make the case that the first year post Kawhi, they overperformed too, I think. Like, they or did. at least, yeah, they certainly, you know, like met expectations. Like, he hasn't really had like a horrible season or anything going back a bit to what you're saying about great coaches i completely agree like at the end of the day to win a championship you you have to win at the margins and and that's just one of the margins right it's like well we have a great coach and you only have a good coach and so that that's that's one can be a significant advantage when it comes down to like a playoff series right and i completely agree with you insofar as you can't discredit any nba championship because yeah they got extremely lucky with injuries in the finals right like everybody on the Warriors got hurt no doubt about it they still beat the Warrior or the Bucks excuse me and they beat the Sixers with Jimmy Butler like I mean these were really good teams you know personally I remember I had them beating the Sixers but I was really not confident and I had the Bucks beating them so like and I wasn't you know like alone like this this is not this is not like a powerhouse super team they were an excellent team but I it's not a It's a credit to his coaching acumen that they won a championship. You can't really argue out of
0: that. Yeah, so I totally agree with that. And, um, you know, even just looking at, like, if you look at what we need, I think really what it comes down to, any coach right now is probably an upgrade. (laughs) It could be just swapping out with, you know, what Steven Silas has done or not been able to do. Like, I've always, you know, said this. I'm sure Steven Silas is a brilliant man when it comes to basketball. He's probably forgotten more basketball than any of us could ever know in our lifetimes. The, the problem with having a, such a young team with so many young players, if you're going to draft all these young players is that, and you pointed this out in the articles, that, that stern hand, that you kind of need to build the foundational principles that you need um, to really start becoming a winning team. And one of the things that I really look at for coaches, and this is where I was always skeptical about Silas, is that the first step to being a winning team is establishing a defensive identity. I don't think that you can ever – go around that like you don't get a young team and try to be an offensive powerhouse and win your way to that level and if you look at i don't i don't even care what you know everybody we always use golden state as a standard for uh rebuilds one thing that changed their their fortunes was not only steve kerr coming in and changing how the players were utilized was also them becoming uh, a top 10 defense um that really really helped and and increasing in that And, and and for me like to build this house of a championship team, the foundation has to be laid on defense and I feel like if you look at what the Rockets have been doing they've been one of the worst defenses for the past three years not really no no real improvements to really point out in that end of the court um I posted a a, um, a tweet on, on on Twitter showing that even one of the worst parts of defense that we have right now is our transition defense um. Dead last in transition defense. We're dead last in transition offense this season. Last year we were twenty fifth in transition defense. So we gotten worse from last year. And last year we were twenty uh, dead last in transition offense. Now I'm going to judge Silas by his words. One of the things he said this team was supposed to do was get up and down. They're going to run. We're going to we're going to hustle on defense. And to me, transition de- offense and defense are both uh, measures that look at hustle and being able to push pace and, and get out and running. And they failed in doing that for the past few seasons. So even judging him by his own standards, he hasn't really met up to that. So I just really think that, you know, there's been a lot of different coaches, whether it's, um, edoka or, or nurse, you know, I've even heard, uh, you know, obviously Kenny Atkinson, uh, Frank Vogel, all these names have come up, but to me, anybody that can really bring that. And the reason that I like Nick nurse, and I want to get your take on this is really when people don't give him credit for is his creativity on defense. Whatever Silas was touted to be as the offensive genius, I think Nick Nurse is that on defense. And I think some of the schemes and the way he uses his players that people have used it against him to, to some ways um, is really what makes him a really, really elite coach. And to me, their defense is what helped them win that championship that they won with Kawhi.
2: Oh no doubt, man. I, I think the knock. I mean, if you like, you can't deny that Nurse is obviously a defensive innovator. He pretty much invented like. Building the wall, which is pretty much just like packing the paint outside of the paint in a weird way. It's I guess it's not literally a completely original idea, but it wasn't innovative means of stopping Giannis, right? Like you, you had to give him that, and then he broke out the box and one. Like the the ingenuity to to take an old technique and use it in a new context is also something he definitely deserves credit for. Yeah, he's he's a defensive mastermind, and we're like the worst defensive team in the league. I want to go back a little bit to something you said, right? Silas, uh, he preached emphasizing transition this season. That was supposed to be a thing, right? But then our team like has this odd tendency to crash the offensive glass like way yeah. too aggressively. and that, I mean, that's counterintuitive to transition. I understand that that impacts transition defense more than transition offense, but like they're one and the same because you create opportunities. Like If you're going to play transition, you have to play transition. You know what I mean? If, if you want to be a transition-heavy right. team, you can't just look to run on offense, but then – not get back on defense uh you have to be playing the, the like that fast break style both ways so that just tells me that silas like yeah i, I agree with you that he's probably a really high level basketball mind but it, this ain't working you know so yeah. there's a lot of reasons for
0: that. yeah <laughs> that's an understatement this ain't working as an understatement for our team um I, I think when you look at some of the players that we have and um you know just to talk about like the the rosters uh that toronto's fielded um, you know, you look at their roster when when he had to me what I like about coaches, I, I look at another good market coach coaches being able to use what you have to your that's available to you and make the best out of that. And like when he's had good players, they've been a good team. And um, the only season that uh, the Raptors were really horrible was the season uh, where they were playing in Tampa Bay. Right. And you're basically every game is a road game for them that whole season. Compounded by everything going on with the pandemic and everything uh coming yeah. out of the uh the stoppage season in the bubble. So every other year, you know, like Cleaning the Glass has a metric where they look at um, you know, expected wins uh compared to what the teams actually do. And he's outperformed, basically he's over overperformed his wins, projected wins for his team every season except that season. And currently this season he's uh he's down by three games as far as what the team that he has is supposed to do. So you know, you know, that does to me, it's, it's like, you can't judge a coach like you pointed out earlier by what they're leaving. Like, we've seen Mike D'Antoni get fired. He was a good coach. Um, Hell, Phil Jackson left the Bulls. Like, you know, we can't say, well, you know, Phil, you suck because the Bulls are letting him go. And if the Lakers wanted to hire him, they're going to say, well, I don't know. He is leaving the Bulls. Like, you got to look at the context of what's going on. I mean, it, it's, it's really like, I, I just love what he does. And I think that Looking at what he did with like some of the players he had when he had uh, uh, Marcus Saul. And if you look at a player that has a defensive deficiencies like a Shangoon, you know what they did a lot back then? They played a lot of zone. They played a lot of zone. Um, the Raptors 3 2 zone was elite. And the thing with them is that they had a lot of high IQ players that were able to switch out from zone to playing man in the middle of a play. And um, he does demand that. And I think the focus for us, whether we have, you know, whether it's Jalen, um, you know, and his weaknesses, Shangun, and his weaknesses is having a coach that looks at them and say, "What can I do with you?" Um, people knock him for the roster with the six eleven thing. The concept behind that, I get it. It was a failed experiment to an extent. Which is, if you're going to play a zone, then why not have six eleven, six ten wings that have a wingspan that you can't pass within that zone, and they take up so much of the court. The bucks tried it, um, and so to me, he comes down to Houston. He's going to have a Jabari Smith Jr. That you can do so many things with. You're going to have Atari Eason that you can do so many things with. You're going to have different players. You might even draft a Wemby. Uh, you know, like to, it's, it's to me, it's a no brainer. And um, if, if we were ranking this, I'd have him as my first choice. Another good candidate, though, is um, Ime Yudoka. And to, and uh, Ime is another coach that obviously fits the bill for somebody who's going to bring some accountability and structure for the team. Um, and to me, you know, a lot of the things that he does well. Uh, are really on the defensive side of the ball, um, but the only knock I would have on Ime is the sample size. I, I just haven't seen enough. It's like if you're going to knock Nick Nurse or what he's done, basically he's done what E-May has done, but he actually won a the championship, then went on to prove more years that he's actually a good coach. We don't know what Ime is. Um, I think in theory people have him as he's an he's an elite coach, but you know the Celtics are still poised to be one of the favorites right now without him. So what is oh, yeah. your view on on that dynamic with you made?
2: No, man, well that's a good point. It ties back to what we were talking about in so far as like, well, you can't always judge a coach strictly by their results because look at Boston, like they were a contender with Brad Stevens. Uh, somewhere along the line, he lost the locker room. I think that had more to do with like personality than it did basketball. So they got Udoka, Yudoka, uh, let's just say lost the locker room, and now they got this guy <laughs> <laughs> uh, Joe, Missoula or what I can't Missoula. Yeah, yeah Missoula, yeah. right, and and so and they're still contenders. So like obviously, there's this roster. There's more to it than coaching. They they, they have a really nice uh, personnel and, and lineup construction and, and things that are just conducive to winning. Like they just have an excellent team. So I agree with you that you know Yudoka, he, The sample size is a little too limited, but I, I I did like what I saw. I thought the ball started moving a little more crisply and stuff than it did with Stevens. The offense got a little more sort of creative. Uh, there was a little more off ball screening and the the defense improved. Maybe that had something to do with like time Lord coming into his own around the same time, you know, but nonetheless, I like, I like what I've seen from Yudoka. I think he's another great candidate, but I would agree with you that nurse is a stronger candidate just given that he's got a more proven track record. He's also got, he doesn't have the baggage, which I I don't like really care about that. But if you're scoring it like point point for point, it is a thing, you know what I mean? Uh, there is, with that said, a significant score on the Udoka side as well, which we are going to talk about. I believe.
0: Yes, and and that we can um, transition uh, right into that with uh, the 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 Jalen Brown discussion. This has been going on for like a week and a half now. Um, once again, another one that I, you know, my view on all of this is like, guys, we're the Rockets. Like any of these names <laughs> that we're saying, like let's just be grateful. I've seen people. Say they don't want him near the team. One of the weirdest takes I've seen on the Jalen Brown thing is that he's redundant to Jalen Green. I, 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 you know, I, I I take pride in like watching basketball and evaluating basketball, and I really don't see that. I don't see that a million miles away. Um, it, the redundancy between their two, they play really different styles, and um, Jalen Brown's a small forward. I don't know if anybody knows that, but if you look at Clean in the Glass, a majority of his, uh, his um his his uh uh where he plays on the court is that small forward for the, the Boston Celtics, uh more than he plays at two guard. So and I think small forward is a position of need that we have right now on the team. So I don't see that a uh, redundancy between him and Jalen as being like two players that are going to overlap each other. It's just he can play defense. To me, that qualifies him to be on any roster. That's my that's my uh litmus test for a guy that can be on the team. Can he play defense? Yes. Okay, he can fit. You know, yeah. so you know what do you what do you see?
2: I, I think there's a certain there's a bit of a, a mass brain fry going on with rockets fan <laughs> base. <laughs> a little harsher than I meant to be, but like, okay, because here here's an argument I've been seeing. Right, um well, if we get Jalen Brown, then aren't we saying that Green is not going to be the alpha scorer that we envisioned when we drafted him? It's like, no, you can have two alpha scores on the same team. In fact, that's that that's a good thing. It's just that, right. but then I think what happens is people say, well then how come Kevin Porter Jr. and Jalen Green can't coexist? It's like, well, one of those alpha scores can't be running point. Like you can't have your two you can have two score first guys if one of them is running point, I don't think. You know? Uh yeah, the Celtics they make Tatum and Brown work. They're effectively both score first. Tatum has developed as a playmaker to, to facilitate the duo but he's still not like an elite, like LeBron, Luca level playmaker. You know, he's just like, he's solid. He 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 finds his guys when they're open kind of thing. And so I don't think that, I don't think it's that we need to go get like the next Cade Cunningham slash Luca slash whatever archetype to fit with green. It's not like, it's not, we need one of the best passers in the league. We need good players. And then we just need a floor general that like sets up offense. It doesn't have to be. Uh, you know uh, Tyrese Halliburton you know
0: facts and you know the article if uh, I didn't say earlier is called should we trade should the Rockets trade for Jalen Brown and obviously with that trade there's a price I mean, there's always going to be a price point my thing is I don't think that they should trade you know everything for him um, but if there's a if there's a, a price it's not going to be cheap but you know I'm willing to pre- go pretty deep into the pockets to get him because I feel like a player of his caliber is not something that happens every, every, you know, that's not something that comes across to me. He's projected in my opinion, as far as realistic available players, probably in the next three years, probably the best one that you might be on the market given age and experience and a guy that's been a winner since he got into the NBA. Um, This is a dude that um, I was looking at their stats and I know you pointed out in the article that, um, you know, if you look at his, just like his raw numbers, they're not bad, but they're not like, Oh my God. But, you know, they're pretty good. They're all NBA level. But as far as a guy that you're going to trade possibly uh, a lot of your future assets for, you may want more. But, you know, if you look at what he was doing in like the finals or in the playoffs, that is to me what separates him from a lot of the field. Because it's not often that you have a guy that performs at the highest levels. And to me, that's really we've seen, honestly, James Harden does. (laughs) He kind of takes. Uh, pardon the pun, a step back uh, in some of these big games, but where a guy like Jalen Brown and it might be something that's intangible, but being able to step up in the moment as a scorer and a defender on a team um, facing probably a historic team is to me, it's a big deal because I know if we get there that he can add something to our, us getting the dub.
2: Oh, hell yeah, man. So let, let me, let me pose this, right. I'm just kind of working these thoughts out, but in the playoffs, realistically, shot creation is a more valuable skill than playmaking, because playmakers look to solve a defense, right? But some defenses are unsolvable. But if you're an elite shot creator, you can just get offense anyway, right? So like when the chips are down, and when you're playing against strong to elite defenses, it's probably more important to be able to create your own shot than it is to be able to set other guys up, because they're defenses that are just not going to give you the seams that you need to set guys up, right? uh so brown to me is a very playoff proof type of player and like uh going back on my article i put off a tweet that said brown's not statistically a top 30 player by any measure and it got a lot of blowback i got a lot of people saying like oh he's a top 30 player how can you say he's not a top 30 player i'm like he is a top 30 player right but i'm talking about trade value wise right he's not top 30 in like vorp win shares box plus minus whatever whatever you put in that is up to you i don't really even put a whole lot in it but like but the guys that you would trade like Jalen and the third pick and Shangoon and three Brooklyn picks for, they gotta be top ten in those categories. So right. like I wouldn't I wouldn't trade like a like an MVP candidate level package for him, you know, but I would trade a lot for him. And what I think is really meaningful is that consistently in all indexes, shot creation metrics, he's like really high percentile. Like he really is one of the best bucket getters in the league, man.
0: Yep, and it doesn't drop off in the playoffs, and and that, that that's you know back to the point I was saying. I mean, um, on uh, synergy, like I'm looking at his uh, play types, uh, very good in transition, very good as a pick and roll ball handler, very good in spot up, um, he's good in isolation. Uh, I mean, that's and he's a he's he's a, you know, decent defender. He's not the best defender, but, you know, he's good as a as a defensive player off screens and spot ups as a pick and roll ball handler. He's good guarding the handoffs, a little below average in isolation. But you're going to look at um, if you look at his uh, matchups, he's guarding the other team's best player uh, wing scorer a lot of the nights. Um, And if you look at it on a team building, um, when we go back to like, what does a, a good team look like? One of the things I have with Jalen, and i might have to do a future video on this with Jalen Green, is that as, as much um, as the scoring is like impactful, it doesn't really add anything to winning, in my opinion, in a vacuum. Because scoring is probably one of the least, when you look at a team, like championship-wise, just having a player, if you're best player at all, they do a score, is probably the least impactful thing that a, a good player could do. Meaning, a Bradley Bill that could average a uh, 32 points per game and just be on one of the worst teams in the league, the most impactful things are going to be playmaking and defense. And, you know, to your point, you've always talked about having a rim protector. That at baseline, if you have a a, a back end, to me, a center and a point guard, it's probably the two most impactful positions to win in games. Jalen is not a center and Jalen is not a, um, a point guard. So we still have those needs. So when you go into the middle of that with shooting guards, small forwards and uh power forwards it comes really down to defense and and um, everything else they do is just icing on the cake in order for Jalen Green to be part of a winning team he has to be a good defender uh, not great but good and if he's then when you have a team that has a good defender at him you get a small forward that could score pretty much at will and is a good defender we know Jabari is slated to be a good defender to me that's the core of a championship then when you get Jalen scoring Maybe he drops 40 in the playoffs or goes off because you can't stop him. That's what elevates what we're trying to do. And that's what gets you to that point. But if if you guys are looking at Jalen like, oh yeah, he's a bucket and this is the guy that we need to like look at it bigger. Like we need he is going to be a great player and a great addition to a great team. But to build around them, you're going to need guys that are versatile defensively. And Jalen Brown is the poster child for a player you want to put next to Jalen Green. And, and that's the way i see it
2: yeah absolutely and let, let me say a few other things on that note too right first of all like i'm not even necessarily interested in brown if we draft victor Wembanyama or scoot henderson now i'm not saying i'm not right but there is a part of me that could say you know what we just got like an absolute blue chip guy maybe we ought to just like hold on to our assets uh go sign some like good solid veterans instead and let it play out a little slower and like you know make sure we're doing the right stuff, you know, but if we don't get one of those guys, well the tank's over, man, and we didn't get like, a elite level guy, to be honest I love Jalen, I think Jalen's gonna, I mean basically the same sentiments you echoed, I think he's probably gonna lead the league in scoring one day, but I don't know that he's going to be the best player on a championship team, I would say it's unlikely right? Uh, Just by virtue of the fact that that's usually unlikely, so if we don't get that dude, then it's time to pivot. And to me, I can hardly think of many better pivots than, than trading for Brown, you know? Like, like Because I think a big part of trading for Brown is this. You're baking in an assumption that he'll look a little different without Tatum and that he's capable yeah. of being, like, the top option, right? And so, I mean, that's... You can't really measure that because we've hardly seen him without Tatum. It's like, a 17-game sample or something. He's been great in it, but, like, who cares? But... uh. If Stone thinks he sees that, then I I absolutely think it's it's a good plan B, you know, uh, failing Wemby or Scoot.
0: And it definitely is. And, you know, we've done the exercise where we actually went through the roster and um, added money and did all that stuff. And in a world where you do get a, um, a Brown, obviously it has to be a wink and a nod where he's going to resign. Like you yeah. don't make that move uh, like, oh, we're going to trade everything just for one year rental. And like uh, the assumption is that, you you know backroom dealings that go on very constantly in nba the agent already says yes we have an offer on the table we're going to agree to this offer in advance you play out the rest of your season here then we'll get you that that contract um with the harden thing how does that connect i mean you theoretically you could still trade for brown get a james harden and um add a top pick to the to the roster and roll like that um but to me, if you get him, it, it makes it it makes the which my dream scenario for this bill going forward a little more feasible, which is um just get some good vets, right? Get a good point guard, get a good center, starting or backup that's more defensively focused than Shangun as he grows and learns um to be a better defender. Um and and maybe he comes off the bench, maybe he starts, whatever. Um, but you bring those two things in. You have a Jalen Brown and Jalen Green, a Jabari Smith second year. Um, maybe KPJ is, is coming off the bench because he's not going to start in front of Jalen Brown at the three. And to me, that's a, almost a 40 something win team. If you have a Nick nurse, you're probably going to win 45, 45 games with that team because you guys really don't know the impact of a good point guard, a good center. That's, uh, that can play whether a backup or starting, I keep having to say that and a good coach like that is worth a lot of wins when you have that on your roster.
2: And, dude, this is why why I've maintained some optimism about where the rebuild is going is because a lot of the mistakes, or rather the problems with the team, are extremely low-hanging fruit. Like, we clearly don't have a rim protector. We do not have a point guard. As you said about the rim protection, whether it's backing up LP or starting, there's no situation where we can put a rim protector on the floor right now. You know? Like, like if we're getting killed in the paint, getting killed on the pick-and-roll, what can we do we could try garuba but he's really more of a switch big so like you know that's 48 minutes of hell right there and then we don't have a point guard so to me the problems are pretty easily fixed and we don't have good veterans i i, I have a feeling it's easy to turn this around if turn this around means like not be a pile of garbage you know but like <laughs> like in terms of like building a championship team that's not easy to turn around obviously that's a different thing you know
0: yeah, and that's a ways down the line. Um, yeah, like once again, let's stop judging. Like, oh, he didn't win a champion. Like, we're not trying to win it. We're just trying to be competent. Um, the steps, one of the missteps to me, if if anything, even in the tanking, like with the 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 fact that we wanted to tank was the Silas hiring and keeping, and I think they should have moved on from much earlier because I think some of the foundational principles that you want to build in a young team that is going to pivot and try to build up and ramp up to being competitive. Um, he just hasn't instilled yet. And whoever this new coach is, they're going to have to lay the foundation down. And um, you know, I've said this multiple times, I think regardless of what we do, it's going to be impact It's whatever we were supposed to win is not going to be as much as we win. I'll be satisfied being a 30 plus win team, um, depending on the moves we make. Now, if we get Harden and like Jalen Brown, then you're probably going to be in the playoffs. Um, that's, that's a playoff team. And with some of these young talented guys coming off the bench. Um, but, you know like you said um uh, my thing i agree with you as far as the optimism nothing has been broken to the point that it can be fixed the execution is going to be a bit tough and that's where i kind of look at like stone you haven't shown me much but you got to he has he has to like bring his a game he has to be oh, nick yeah. nurse in the milwaukee series this off season <laughs> yeah. like w- what you got brother like you got to show us we need that box um, one man we need that boxing one, bro, go in that uh, office and that contract room and boxing one the agents and everything else. Boxing one the draft, pull out the the wall when you're trying to, you know, we got to make some moves yeah. and no all job. of this could be could be the cherry on the cake with with a I'm, uh coming in here. That that'll be game changer for everything. Yeah, but appreciate you, bro. Just wanted to uh, wrap this, um, you know, talk some of the articles you dropped. I'm going to have the links to James's articles in the uh, description of this this podcast or video, wherever you're consuming this at. Um, yeah, bro. Thanks for coming through.
2: Thanks, man. I appreciate you.